0: Welcome to Radio Tamboa, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Why should we be engaging atheists, uh, agnostics, and skeptics? Is this just... uh, something for intellectual Christians to engage with as a kind of a pet peeve, is this fringe theology? The answer is that this is not. This is actually very crucial to all ministry right now. And the reason why we need to be thinking about this, um, there are three reasons why. First of all, we need to remember that when we are making a claim that we all make as Christians, that Jesus is Lord, or when we are saying that I am saved because I believe in him, or when we say God is good, or God loves you, we are making truth claims. We are saying that that is true, that God is good. And we are also saying that the opposite is not true. And so we are saying that it is true that God is good, and it is not true that God is not good. And so all claims of religion are actually truth claims. And right now we live at a time when these claims are either questioned or they are doubted or they are opposed by uh, agnostics, skeptics, and atheists. And we have a duty as Christians who God has called to make a defense Uh, of the hope that is in us, as pastors who preach the gospel, we have a duty to defend the claims of truth that we are making. A few years ago, we never had to do this. It was assumed that God existed. It was assumed that the Bible was the word of God. But now it is doubted. It is questioned. And we need to defend this truth as a step before bringing the gospel to some people, especially those who have been exposed to contrary truths. Why should we as Christians be engaging atheists and agnostics and skeptics? These are people. As Christians, we believe that these are souls that if they don't believe, then they will not have eternal life they will remain under God's judgment. And so we have a duty to reach out to them. But then secondly, we know that when we as believers are making simple claims like God loves you, or that Jesus is God, or that sin deserves the wrath of God, we are making truth claims. And when we make truth claims, those who hear us, Can either believe those claims, or they can question those claims, or they can doubt those claims, or they can actually disagree with those claims. And we live in a time in Nairobi, in Kenya right now, where contrary views, views that are contrary to the Christian faith, have become very common. And so all ministry, all evangelism, all preaching, All Christian profession is being made in the context of either doubt or opposition or questioning, and so the task is upon us to engage atheists and skeptics, not just to evangelize them, which we must do as believers, but also to defend and support the claims of truth and strengthen the faith of the saints. Christ does call us to make a defense of the hope that we have so how do we engage atheists and skeptics first of all you want to investigate how you think about truth and scripture how often do you hear somebody say that my faith is built upon the word of god my faith is not built upon reason and logic and evidence as though those two were actually complete opposites. But I want to challenge that kind of thinking if we are going to be effective ministers and we are going to effectively engage atheists and skeptics who are around us. They are in our homes. They are in our schools. They are teaching in front of us in classes. They are our parents. We have to investigate how we think about reason and logic, and evidence, if we are going to uh, effectively engage atheists and skeptics. Let me give an example. You are watching this video right now. Suppose, having watched this video, there's something I said that you shared with your friend. And then your friend hears you, and your friend says something like, No, you are lying. That video does not exist. You never watched that video. What you would do is go back to the internet, try to pull out that video and give it to your friend. But suppose you can't remember the title of this video and so you can't pull it out for your friend to watch it. Is your friend then right that this video does not exist? Can your friend actually do years of research and come up with seven reams of research to prove that this video does not exist. Even if they were to do that, even if they were to out-argue you because you can never pull this video back out again, they would not be telling the truth because the truth is that this video does exist. And so when we come to engage atheists and skeptics, we are coming because we believe that what we are saying is true. And if what we are saying is true, then there is no evidence that can actually be found that can prove false what is actually true. In the same same way, this video truly does exist, and no evidence can be pulled out to truthfully claim that this video does not exist. In Hebrews 11 verse 6, the Bible tells us that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who draw near to him. That's very interesting. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that God actually exists. And definitely there is a God. And when we are engaging skeptics, we are not at a place where whoever wins the argument claims truth. Truth exists. And so when we talk to atheists, even if they were to out-argue you, they would not therefore have uh, removed God from existence. And so I invite us then to consider how we think about reason, about science, and about religion. There are three things to consider when ministering to atheists, agnostics, and skeptics. The first one of those is what is your view of truth, what is your view of reason, and what is your view of scripture. Second of all, we need to ask, what is your view of man? What do you think of the person that you're speaking to? And last of all, you need to consider what do you think about the gospel that you're bringing to this person? Let's look at these three things uh, in each of the three videos that will follow. First of all, what is your view of truth, of reason, and of scripture? We often hear people say that my faith is not built upon human reason, my faith is built upon scripture. And so people often think that engaging atheists is a question of reasoning and philosophy and not a question of scripture. But let me challenge you by asking you a question. If the claims of scripture are true, then would any reason or any evidence be found that would actually contradict. Consider the illustration that we looked at earlier. Could there be any true evidence that could actually show that this video does not exist? Definitely there cannot be if it is actually true that you're watching this video right now. There cannot be. So. Let us consider what the Bible itself says about reason, about evidence, about empirical facts, and whether Christians are actually right in jettisoning these things from the sheep of Christianity. So, first of all, consider that what is true in Scripture is also true everywhere. What is true in Scripture is actually true everywhere. It is true in Scripture that at some point in history, there was a Pharaoh, and there was a Moses, and there were 10 plagues that God brought upon the people of Egypt, and through this, the people of Egypt were released to go into the Promised Land in Canaan. This is a truth claim. If this claim is true, then there cannot be true, real evidence that can disprove what is actually true. And so history is our friend as believers. History is the friend of truth. History is the excavation of truth. And so when we are talking to historians, for example, when you're speaking to an atheist or a skeptic who will come to you with something they've read in history, you want to know that if what they're saying is actually true and the Bible is true, then what they're saying cannot contradict scripture. It might seem to contradict scripture, but it does not actually contradict scripture. Let's look at science, for instance. The Bible says that God made man. And if that is true, there cannot be scientific evidence that can disprove or that can contradict truly what is actually true, and so you need not fear as a believer that the truth of Scripture will stand in opposition to the truth of science. Science is the investigation of the things that God has created. And how can the very word of the Creator God contradict the creation itself? And so we have to be confident and we have to be settled in the fact that if what we believe is true, then there is no evidence that would stand uh, opposed to it when we go to minister to atheists and skeptics so then that uh, that looks at our understanding of what truth is lastly let's look at the aspect of philosophy what is true is true and what is true is consistent in itself there can be no argument that can come that can prove untrue what is actually true and so, We also need to remember that uh, right thinking and right application of logic is our friend when we are bringing the truth to an agnostic, or a skeptic, or an atheist. And so for that reason, then, I invite you to think and to engage with atheists and skeptics. We find evidence for this in Scripture. The Bible tells us about Paul. When Paul was converted, One of the first places that he went to was actually the synagogues. And the Bible tells us that Paul reasoned with the Jews, proving from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And so the use of the mind to reason and to prove and to press truth is actually a Christian practice. Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him, Think upon these things and the Lord will give you understanding. And so we don't just receive truth. We receive truth, we digest truth, we think about truth, and truth proves true. The most important aspect of our Christian faith is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you turn to your Bible in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks to us about the resurrection. And he, and he puts that as the centerpiece of the gospel. And he actually says that if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. That's a bold claim. That's a claim that is not scared of history, of archaeology, of logic, of science, because it is sure that Christ indeed has been risen. That's what the Bible says. And then Paul goes on and Paul says, that Christ indeed has been raised. And he mentions those who saw him. Let us look at what Paul says. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on to say, that Christ appeared to Cephas, to the twelve. then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And so Paul knows that is making an actual statement, an actual claim of truth. And he's saying that you can go to the 12, you can go to Peter, you can go to the 500, most of whom are still alive. They saw the risen Christ. And so his faith in the risen Christ is according to the scriptures, as he says, but then also it's a factual statement. And so the very... The very centerpiece truth of our message of the Gospel is based upon actual fact that the Lord died and the Lord was raised. And so friends, as we engage atheists and skeptics and agnostics, let us go boldly knowing that what we are saying is true and not fearing that philosophy or history or science might actually win. Because nothing can prove it's not true what is actually true. When you, as a Christian, are engaging an atheist or an agnostic or a skeptic, you need to remember first of all that these are human beings. They are people who think, they are people with emotions, they are people who feel. They are like you and me in every way, made in the image of God. And what the Bible says about man, the state in which man is born, is true of them. What the Bible says about the gospel and what the gospel does to the heart is true of them. And the hope that the Bible gives to all who come to Christ will be true of them if they believe in Christ. And so let us consider what the Bible says about the mind about the heart, and about the affections or, or feelings that we have, which could be behind the atheism that whoever you're ministering to has. So I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians 4. and Let us consider God's Word and think about it, have make some meditations on it, and, and see how that informs how we can minister to the atheists and skeptics who are around us. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. First of all, verse 17 says that they are darkened in their understanding. And this is being said of the Gentiles, those who do not believe. There is a darkening of the understanding that is behind all unbelief. Even those who are of other theistic religions who do not believe in Christ, it is because their minds are darkened. Their understanding is darkened. Second Corinthians 4 4 tells us, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so what Ephesians 4 is saying is actually true, that there is a darkening of the understanding. There's an underlying spiritual issue that is true of all sin that is manifesting itself in the atheistic unbeliever. Secondly, Ephesians 4 also tells us that there is a hardening of the heart. Usually when you speak to atheists, at least to most of them, you will notice a certain resistance to what you're saying. You will you'll notice that there's a fight, there's a duel, there's an opposition to what is being said, and so not only is there a lack of understanding but there is a resistance to the truth that you are bringing. Romans 8 explains this truth to us quite well. And Romans 8 tells us that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And so that introduces a third dynamic, a mind set on the flesh. Flesh in biblical terms refers to the carnal man, refers to the fleshly or this-worldly type of desires that we have. And so when the mind is set on the flesh, and again this text is not speaking about atheists, it's speaking about all unbelievers. When the mind is set on the flesh, the mind becomes hostile to God and God's law. The mind that is set on the flesh does not think that holy is good. It is resistance to holy. It is resistance to righteous. It is resistance to what is commendable to God. And so we have to remember these dynamics of sin that are at work in the lives of atheists or in the souls and minds and affections of atheists. And so then that helps us know that even as we are talking, the the converting power does not rest in the force of our arguments, but God himself has to overcome the chains of sin that are working in the person's heart so that the person can believe. And so as we go, we know what we can do. We can convince, perhaps, but God has to convict them of their sin. A great illustration of this is the parable of the rich young ruler. He asks Christ what he must do to be saved, and Christ tells him that he has to keep the law perfectly, and he actually says that he has, and then Christ tells him that then you must go and sell your belongings and come and follow me. And now he has the question. He has the answer to the question that he asked. But what does he do? Does he kneel down before Christ? And worship him as Lord? No. The Bible says that he went away sad because he was extremely rich. And so his desire, his esteem for his possession was determining his will. And so as much as now he knew what he needed to do, he was not going to do it. He was not willing to do what he now knew because his affections, his loves, His desires were with his treasure in this world. And so as a believer, as an evangelist, you are up against the strong shackles of sin. There's a spiritual um, state in which the unbeliever that you're talking to is in. And only God can break those chains. For that unbeliever to actually come and bow the knee and repent of their sin and proclaim that indeed Christ is Lord, God has to work in their hearts to give them a conviction of their sin. This means that all our ministry to atheists has to have the gospel. Simply proving the existence of God is not enough. Nobody goes to heaven. Nobody is forgiven of their sin. For being a theist, they have to hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have to know that they need to believe in him as the Son of God, to repent of their sin, to cast their guilt on him so that they can receive his righteousness. And so all of this has to end in a clear understanding of the gospel on their part. That's your role. Secondly, it has to be prayerful. You know that the power to convert is not with you, and what they need is not a great argument. What they need is conversion. And so you must be prayerful as you speak with them. You must be praying for them. You must be trusting God to be at work through your sharing of the gospel so that they can be saved. Let me share with you some tips some tools that can help you as you minister to atheists or skeptics or agnostics. First of all, know the power of questions. This is not only respectful, it's actually kind. Find out. Why don't they believe? Ask them, how is how is it that you came to actually become an atheist or an agnostic? You'll hear some very interesting stories Oftentimes, it is not because of a logical deduction, but there are a number of things that came that sort of made them consider the idea that God does not exist. Oftentimes, there's a painful background. There is great loss. There is betrayal by religious people. There is a false theology that they learned. So find out. Find out why they don't believe in God. And that might just help you know how to serve them better. Second of all, ask them what they believe about the Christian faith. What do you exactly believe about God? What do you exactly believe about Christ? What is it that you don't believe about the Christian claims? you'll usually find that as they articulate the Christian claim that they don't believe, what they don't believe is actually not what Christianity claims. Ask them, so that you know what exactly you need to address. You need addressed uh, that is behind their unbelief. So you have asked them what they don't believe about the Christian faith, what their understanding of the Christian faith is, Another question you can ask is now what do they believe? What do they believe about God? Often times they might not uh, believe the Christian God, but then they have another belief in another God. And uh, you want to find that out. Now this can become a great avenue because if indeed, and indeed it is, that our God is the true God, then other gods are false gods and it is not difficult to show the falseness or the untruthfulness of contrary beliefs. And so that will also help you to make your exercise of apologetics and evangelism very directly helpful to each other atheist you are, pre- you are speaking to. One mistake that many apologists and evangelists do is that they assume that all atheists believe the same thing or don't believe the same things. That is not fair and that is not actually true. So find out. Find out what the person before you does not believe and address that so that you can get over those hurdles and get to give them the gospel. Another tip is for you to take advantage of common ground. Atheists or skeptics, or even agnostics, are humans like us. They fall in love, they get heartbroken, they love people, the people that they love die, they fall sick, and whatever system of belief that you have, it needs to give you a kind of worldview with which to understand these things. Ravi Zacharias tells a wonderful story of sitting across a coffee table with an atheistic professor friend of his. And the friend was devastated because his wife had cancer. And uh, Ravi asked him, uh, My friend, if you indeed believe that your wife is simply matter, just as this coffee table is, then why are you so moved by her illness? And of course, the professor had to admit that there is some value that the wife has that is not existent in a tree. And so this is an illustration for how we can take advantage of things like grief or things like joy. And so Dr. Ravi knew that whatever worldview, whatever materialistic, atheistic worldview that his friend has, could not explain the value of man. And this becomes a chance for him to show that the Christian idea that man is made in the image of God becomes a value that, that explains our very intuitive recognition that man is more valuable than other created things. Now, this is not to say that we are to very selfishly take advantage of these things to make our point? No, we want to do this in love because these are people that we love. We do believe they are made in God's image. And so, be it a wedding for instance. What are weddings for? Why do people covenant one another to live together, to love one another, to support one another? That becomes another avenue to explain the Christian worldview behind love and commitment and show God's own commitment to us. And that the Bible says that God has instituted weddings to reflect on marriage to reflect the love that is, the covenant commitment that is between God and us. That marriage is a picture of that. Take advantage of these situations. Love these people. Let them know that you care and let them know that your worldview is actually consistent with these things. Scripture calls this making the best use of the time. Number three, be conscious that you are also witnessing with your lifestyle. Richard Baxter, one of the Puritans of the 17th century, says that many sermons have been slit on the throat by one careless word. For you as a believer, for you as someone who wants to see this person saved, to share your faith with them, so that they may enter eternal life, you know that they are observing you. And so let your conduct match your lifestyle. Your conduct is part of your Christian witness to the atheist and to the watching world. Many atheists will give, as one of their main arguments against Christianity, the conduct of Christians. Too often you hear of pastors, you hear of Christian leaders, you hear of Christian wives or Christian children who do not live according to the Christian ideals. And this is celebrated even because it seems to disapprove the Christian faith. And as much as my conduct is no argument against the truth of what I'm saying, yet even atheists know that my conduct, that my claims ought to be backed up by my conduct. Let us remember that our conduct backs up the truthfulness of our profession. And it is a very strong ministry to those people that we are ministering to. Perhaps one of the most uh, encouraging testimonies I've had um, to to this effect is the testimony of Rosaria Butterfield and the ministry that a pastor uh, 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 showed to her. Uh, just the kindness, the compassion, the understanding, the patience, and how God used this to her conversion uh, it's a very powerful testimony that shows the power of a consistent lifestyle lived before the watching world and especially the watching atheist. And lastly, take advantage of the resources that are that are available to you. We are not the first ones to engage atheists. There are no fresh arguments against God. Um, There are no fresh arguments against the Christian claims of truth. And so take advantage of the work that other people have done. There are various resources on the internet uh, that can help you to to, uh, minister to atheists. There are YouTube videos, there are books. You can either watch uh, a video together, read a book together, share blogs, discuss them, Sometimes other people might put things in very helpful ways. So you also want to introduce these atheist friends of yours to somebody else who might have perhaps a different approach or just put things in another way that God might use. That's not how you could put it. Invite them to church if you're going to a biblical church and let them hear the gospel preached. God will work to save sinners of any kind, even of the atheistic kind, by the power of his gospel. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.